when you say like, uh, you know, that art is trash, I mean, it isn't that subjective though. I mean, it isn't. No. No. Why not? Be beauty is not in the eye of the beholder. There's objective beauty. For example, uh, I did Art Basel in 2019, but the biggest uh, story headline for that Art Basel was there's a banana duct taped to a wall that was sold for $150,000, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Now, only a person who believes that gender is a social construct, that white skin de facto makes you evil, that children can consent to gender reassignment surgery, only a person who believes that level of thinking can buy that that's art in the first place. But to any sane person who cares about tradition or who was brought, you know, brought up proper, that's insulting to your intelligence, right? Arthur Kwan Lee, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, brother. Man, I'm, I'm glad that you're, uh, you were able to fly in and uh, you know, be here. How, how, was the, how was the flight? It was nice. Uh, I come to Nashville three times a year because a lot of my creative peers live here. And I love this city. I love Nashville. You've been coming here for, for a while? I would say the past four years, I've been coming several times. Okay. Yeah, nice. Now, where, uh, where did you grow up? Like, uh, you know, what part? Was it the United I, States? I grew, up, I grew up in Northern Virginia, and I was very close to D.C., like a 15, 20-minute hike from D.C., so I grew up being very close to some of the woke culture we talked about pre-show. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ended up getting into art, obviously, and went to art school at GW. And then I started my art career, and most of my success came from when I went to New York City. So I've been in the East Coast, in the Virginia, New York area, uh, D.C., New York area. That's where I did most of my career as a fine art painter. Okay. And uh, just for the, the viewers to know, I mean, you were... Uh, you are a very successful artist, uh, award-winning artist, and you got canceled basically right. uh, from that scene. So, um, and we'll go into the the all of that here in a little bit. But I wanted to kind of give some context uh, if people are just you know starting to listen. So, uh, you you went to GW. Um, you kind of started the scene. Where did you go from there? Well, um, I, I I'll first say that when I went to art school. I, you know, I knew I was going to be an artist because I was always sort of introverted minded. I always wanted to do something individual. That's why I like martial arts. That's why I like painting. I knew I wanted to um, explore that, that frame. So when I became an artist, um, when I went to George Washington University, the first thing I noticed was it was basically a leftist indoctrination center for activist training. And I realized that art college today is not actual art training. So I immediately had one foot now in the door towards like caring about culture in a much deeper way because I became an artist for a very innocent reason because I love painting. It was almost self-therapeutic at that way. You know, I was against government school since I was a kid. I was very aware of that. And being cognizant of that, I knew I wanted to work for myself. So I'm an artist here and I go to this art university assuming to learn from greater masters. And what am I exposed to? I'm exposed to this radical left postmodern ideology. And right there, I realized that the art world in its modernity has a can of worms that needs to be fought. So 
Uh, that was sort of the beginning of my journey as this strange warrior artist in the culture. So <laughs> I don't know if that answers your no, question. No, it does. It answers part of it. So when you, when you went to the art school and you saw this agenda, culture agenda being pushed, did you give pushback at school? So um, I would say what I learned at art university is social camouflage. I learned to blend in so I won't be ostracized. And in a way, it's because I was being kind of beta-ish. I wasn't speaking my mind as openly as I am now. Now, now I'm super unapologetic now. I speak my mind on it, whatever I feel like talking about now. And I became an artist to maximize freedom, right? So uh, I, I just blended in. And, you know, I realized today that, that <clears throat> excuse me, this is me looking in retrospect. All of the institutions in the art world, including the colleges that we're talking about, <clears throat> they're all arms of propaganda. And they're all basically a way to train artists to become disseminators of this degenerate culture that we have today. And um, so I just blended in. And that was sort of my training towards how I'm going to fit into the art world. Because after art university, I started my career, started talking with galleries, started smoozing, schmoozing with these dealers and curators. And I noticed it was even worse because there's now this wrongful association towards art education and working with galleries. When previously, before the Frankfurt School created art universities, artists were like atelier-based. You know, you just trained under a master and you develop your skills. And now it's, um, how can you be utilizing your talent from the lens of an ideologue? Mm. Which tells you about the culture. Yeah, well, I mean, in the ideologue, you know, it's, it's, it's only one type too, right? Yeah, it's the loony left. Yeah, you know, it's the loony left, but um, it's not only leftism, and it's not only like see what I would say is all of these these branches, whether it's leftism, feminism, the 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 race virtue signaling through BLM, all these different identity groups, they're all under the blanket of collectivism, and what I came to see, both in art school. And became more fully articulated, the more competent I became, I became in understanding this game in the art industry, is that all art, all art and art, his, art, history, art history as well, it's this tug of war between collectivism and the soul. And what I mean by that is, when you look at aesthetics, that plays out as well. Like, basically, the two polarities in the art game, it's aesthetic relativity and universal standards. And what I am saying is that we have this false belief that ideology is separate from aesthetics, right? So you'll think, okay, this person believes X, Y, and Z, and then they produce this type of art. No, the people who are producing this hogwash on the wall, where you see like splatters of paint being sold for half a million dollars, those can only be produced by very left-leaning thinkers. Hmm. Because at like, for example, if you see art produced by a conservative, they're conservatives, so they believe in tradition. You know, so de facto, there's a pedagogical standard they want to produce from. So now there's techniques and skills associated with that. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So often we think that aesthetics and ideology are separate, but they're the same thing. And what I saw in the art world, as a person who's a defector from the New York City art world, mm -hmm. is that the reason why all the art is such crap today is because all the propound <laughs> everyone in the game is brainwashed by the dominant narrative. 
So of course the art is crap. So I was already displaced in that way. And when I started to speak up against it, that's when things got rocky. So I started to come out of my social camouflage armor. And that's when I was starting to burn bridges little by little. Yeah, when you say like, uh, you know, that art is trash. I mean, it isn't, uh, that subjective though i mean it isn't no no why not Be- beauty is not in the eye of the beholder there's objective beauty and <clears throat> for example uh i did art basil in 2019 and the biggest story during that show there's an art show called scope i was showing it in one of those booths but the biggest uh story headline for that art basil was there's a banana duct tape to a wall that was sold for one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Mm. right mm-hmm. now only a person who believes that gender is a social construct, that white skin de facto makes you evil, that children can consent to gender reassignment surgery. Only a person who believes that level of thinking can buy that that's art in the first place. But to any sane person who cares about tradition or who is brought, you know, brought up proper, that's insulting to your intelligence, right? And uh, yeah, beauty is not subjective. You know, art is not a relative thing. That's um, an ideology pushed by postmodern thinking, actually. But you're talking about like, uh, you know, the, the, the paint colors put together and, you know, the, um, you might like something like, or you might not like that. Let's say that I like something like that. I mean, is, is that, that part is subjective, right? Here's what I'll say. <clears throat> um, art can be beautifully beautiful in a decorative sense. Mm-hmm. Right. So so there's decorative art and that's that's fine. You know, um, and that's all aesthetics, that's all formalism, right? But there's also contextualism. And I guess what I'm saying is that ideal art, it's there's a statement associated with mm. it. There's a story, there's meaning. So there's form and there's context. So whenever you see a traditional critique, whenever you go to any legitimate art school, when they're doing critiques, it's basically when all the art students and the professors are breaking down the composition so that we can become better artists, right? Mm-hmm. And they always function um, from the lens of formalism and contextualism. And there's a degree of, you know, subjectivity on the formal end. Um, But ultimately, there is a better way of drawing proportions. There is a better way of capturing values and contrasts and showing lighting and how to use your brush. And there is a superiority of technical skills and how you should uh, act it out. So... It's kind of like a, a a blue belt doing an arm bar and a black belt doing an arm bar. Hundred percent. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 you know, it's like it's like a white belt coming up to you and saying like, "Yeah, but isn't jujitsu subjective?" All oh, right. And you're gonna be like, "Oh man, this guy has no idea." Right. I'm a white <laughs> right? belt in art for sure. Yeah. No, 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 no. But, but, but there's uh, parallels, and um, it's like Musashi says, you know, once you understand the way deeply, you see it in all things. Sure. And um, I, I'm a judoka myself, so. I, I've, it fa- sounds funny, but I've always seen connections with martial training and visual arts, at least cortically from a cerebral lens. And um, the, the, the push towards aesthetic relativism is always being pushed from one side because that's the only way they can win the culture. Because in all actuality, high culture belongs to those who want to preserve tradition. Like when you look at all the greatest timeless masterpieces throughout history, they're always undergirded by religious subject matter, for example. 
There's a reason for that, right? It's passed down and it's because there's a standard where we have to make the art point upwards. Now, you look at all these other artists who are often paid by the CIA, by the way, <laughs> Warhol, Pollock, all of these people, they're trying they to were, push they out- were paid by the CIA? Um, they were, they're CIA agents. You know, you know, again, I'm telling you right now, when you study art history from the lens of spiritual artists versus utilizing creative class for propagandistic reasons, sure. it, it's, it's very telling. Like, I can you, say that like, so uh, Andy Warhol, like, is it like, are there documents that show him being uh, in the CIA? Like, is it a... Yeah, yeah, now it's public record. Okay, it's public record. Yeah, the, yeah, these artists were, you know, basically put out to create, like, just produce a cult of ugliness. Interesting. Because what that does to the people. So a lot of people don't understand, like, what, like, okay, we can, let's, let's go very simple here. Like, like, what would you say is the purpose of art and fine art? What is the purpose of art? That's an open-ended question, but what would you say is the purpose of art? Um... Gosh, that's a good question. To to give beauty to the world, um, to make people think in a different way, um, yeah. to you know create an emotion uh, with something visual that uh, doesn't necessarily have to be visual, but create an yeah. emotion with the with the piece. So, so um, I would say the first thing you said in you know, regards to trying to create beauty, that's ideal. But I would say across the board, all mediums, whether it's comedy, whether it's watching a theatrical performance on Broadway, painting. Uh, we're not talking about decorative art, by the way. Okay, I, was, I was thinking more yeah. of like yeah, paintings. Yeah, yeah well, well, I would say all art is to normalize values. Okay, so all art in, in general, to normalize values. That 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 is see because it's it's a form of seduction. It's not it's not logical. You're watching art in a relaxed state, so there's it's influencing you in it and it's pulling at you romantically. And the reason why many artists have always been used for propagandistic reasons, especially by those who want to you know utilize communist values, it's because they're going to regenerate a certain value structure. Um, here, we can look at it from a modern sense. We don't even need to look at our history. Like, if you look at the right versus the left today, anytime there's a debate on Politicon, whatever it is, the right, they focus on spreadsheeting and pie charts, data, economic-based data, you know, facts don't care about your feelings, right? The left, they know they will lose the economic argument, so they don't even put any effort into that, actually. They just would rather have control of big tech, academia, Hollywood, entertainment, and the art gallery. So therefore, you're controlling all the cultural institutions so you can actually direct the culture and young people especially. Yeah. So, so, so while we repeat this mantra that fact, you know, like that politics is downstream from culture, okay, well, they're going to just hijack the culture and keep <laughs> winning in that regard. Yeah. And this is why they're effective because we don't understand that like, you know, we can win romantically as well. And but, I think there's more weight in there, to be honest. But don't you think, too, that the Republicans, you know, uh, or conservatives, I mean, they're pretty full of shit, too. Oh, yeah. No, I, I don't consider my conserv myself a conservative oh, no, I was just anymore. Saying, like, yeah. giving the, you're talking about the, yeah. what the right and the left. Like, yeah. in, in, 
in the United States, Republican, Democrat, you know, I'm, I'm not, yeah, they're, I'm not they're full the, of shit. Yeah. And, and it's like, <laughs> you know, so you lose the people on the left that may be, you know, uh, influenced culturally by these institutions because you're not consistent. You're not yeah. actually following what, uh, what you say that you, you believe in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess I, I'm, I'm pointing out a, uh, a serious pitfall I see in regards to critiquing strategy. Mm-hmm. And when I look, when I'm giving this diagnosis, I see that this is where the right falls. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't, they don't appreciate the power of aesthetics and art. They don't utilize that to their advantage. And I'm saying this as a person who's not necessarily conservative, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but um, obviously the left, they're, they're lacking all their, uh, their numbers, the dataticians, right? Because it's a losing argument. But I, I'm just saying this because... I noticed that there's people who understand how to utilize a creative class and there's those who do not. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's, it's an interesting thought um, because they have, have hijacked all of those things. Um, mm-hmm. 100%. I mean, as, as you were talking about going through school, I mean, how, how long do you think they've been planning this for, though? Oh, oh, oh they've been doing it. <laughs> um, since the inception of the Frankfurt School, if we're going to talk about U.S. history. When was that? So, so the Frankfurt School, uh, well, I'll speak from a fine art dimension, for example. Like I was mentioning that like art, art education, for example, uh, that was produced by a guy named John Murphy. And, and he was a member of the Frankfurt School in 1937. He wrote Art and the Social World. And he actually writes in this essay that the function of the fine artist should transition from, transition, should, should shift from um, spiritual servitude to political activism. He blatantly writes that. And, and it goes to show you because that's the substrate that all these art academic professors and all their art theories use. That was the foundation. Interesting. And yeah, so there's- And it's only the political activism- Marxist reasons for this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's, it's, only, it's the only political activism that they believe in too. It's not like, you know, you have to have these specific views to, for them to accept you. 100%. That's why I got kicked out too. And, and, and my story is not uncommon. Like I, I know a lot of other artists. I know this one photographer, she was kicked out for being based as well. And, you know, me getting kicked out. I mean, obviously like, like people often ask, like what's the moment that caused you to be ostracized from these art dealers? And I have a hard time pinpointing that because it's like if I ask like, why did you get divorced? It's actually a betaization through a thousand concessions. It's, you know what I mean? It's multiple things that added up that caused this moment to actually be castigated. Mm-hmm. So for me, I can n- name a couple of stories where I burned bridges that are more, that are more uh, I guess, out there. But, but it was much more the fact that you have to spend so much time with these art dealers and they just want to control you. They want to control you ideologically. And you have to keep repeating their sentiments like, like a parrot, you know? Like people don't understand. You hang out with your art dealers like several times a week. Yeah. So so that's a lot of time. And I'm like, do I want to keep doing this? You know? Yeah. I mean, I guess, so you went to New York City after art school? Yeah. Well, I spent um, like a couple of years after art school just trying to make it work in DC. And I realized the art scene there was nothing compared to New York. Because I was always, I ended up shipping work to do group shows at that stage to New York. So I was like, I had to be in New York. Okay. Yeah. And so what, when did, when was this? When did you go to New York? Um, 
I got to do the math. It's been a while. <laughs> um, 2017, 18, something of that sort. Okay, yeah. so you go to New York around 2017. Um, yeah. I guess three years later or so, and 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 you know, from 2017, 2018, 2019, were you already kind of making waves? Because you won what, what award did you? Win? I won Artist of the Year in 2020. Okay, so this is recent, but the, like this is a fresh thing I'm doing with Ed Clay right now. Yeah, and that's awesome. And, yeah, in 2020, I won Artist of the Year from the Eileen Kaminsky Family Foundation. They're a really reputable residency program, mm -hmm. internationally known. And that was a big deal for me because that's what caused these dealers and White Hot Magazine, biggest art magazine in New York, like all these people started to cover me because of that. And I was kind of like the new kid in the block. Mm -hmm. And I ended up also with that momentum to add to this to the context. I was going to get sushi and, and hang out at these like nice fancy places with George Berger, mm -hmm. who's literally the art dealer now laundering money with for Hunter Biden's art. Like I was hanging with all these people that were, you know. I wouldn't say I agree with them morally in any way, but they had money. They had money and they were uh, schmoozing me and building me up, letting me know that, you know, all right, kid, you know, you can uh, be a part of this game with us. Um, but they're, they're repugnant to me as human beings. Yeah. So what was that? So from 2017 to 2020, you're kind of working the scene, you're networking, yeah. you're, you know, kind of filling things out. You yeah. Know, you're probably having your, uh, you know, ethically, you're like, gosh, what do I do right now? Is this you know, a little confusing as to what steps to take? How far do I want to go in mm -hmm. this? You know, and obviously you eventually left. But, um, you know, what was it like, you know, the first three years before you won that award? Uh, what was it like to kind of build your reputation in the city? Um, it was very, you know, it's very hard to monetize creativity. And every artist who listens mm -hmm. to your show understands this sentiment. Uh, I remember I had a, a teacher in high school that I looked up to who said, if you can find out what you love to do and if you can monetize that, that's one of the secrets of life. And I was like, okay, beautiful. But he never told me that you'll be starving and struggling for the <laughs> first like 10 years. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, that's part of it though, right? Yeah. So, so builds character. I, had, I had a little bit of builds character. Um, I had a little bit of that. It was, uh, um, Challenging at some points as well, because you know, from from Virginia to New York City, cost of living goes up, but then more opportunities as well. Um, so I was getting shows once in a while. So usually the way it works, just so people can understand our industry, imagine like a like a three tiered pyramid. Okay, at the bottom you have like starving artists. You're a barista. <laughs> you just do like weird little pop ups. The middle is sort of the Wild West. You can do group shows, festival shows. Once in a while, get a solo show. Those are like middle tier, middle tier galleries. You can do pretty well there if you get up high. Um, that's where I have most of my claim to fame. The top is a totally different animal. And that's where I was having one foot in the door in, like getting sort of vetted. And that's where it's basically a financial instrument to money launder and evade taxes. But there's also like the occult inside there. Um, so the top of the art world is a totally different thing. A lot of people don't know that. So I, I was basically, I was just getting one foot in that door. And then I flew too close to the sun and I called them all a bunch of pedophiles. <laughs> and then I get kicked out. Really? So, so <laughs> yeah, you had one foot in the door. What was that? How long did you have that foot in the door? Very short. Very short. Yeah, I would say it's uh, like less than six months. Less than okay. Yeah, because I'm just hanging out and going to these like private parties, dinner, you know, all these stuff, hanging out with these people regularly. And um, 
but it's but I will say I learned a lot about culture and strategy from this experience because you know these are people who have so much money and patronage to support you know certain artists to be agents of a certain voice right like they'll give these people world class tours and all this and the first thing I notice is all these spots and I'll just say them right now Jane Hotel Rooftop Bar in New York every Tuesday evening. They still do that. The Norwood Club Thursday evening. Like all these spots that we hang out with, like they're all like wealthy Democrat elites and then the talent congregating together. Like, I don't think the right does that. And again, I'm just, I'm, I'm not trying to speak with no, that dichotomy. Right doesn't do that. No. But I'm, I'm not trying to speak with that, that again, that polarity so, so stringently, but I'm just saying like in regards to utilizing the creative class to disseminate your values, that is kind of brilliant. I mean, wouldn't you say though that the the left in general is more creative than the right? Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, and th- and that's again Peterson's trait openness. He talks about that. That makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Th- this it's hard to find the unicorns, the people who have, you know, some sort of wholesome sentiment in their heart, but they also have that ability to be experimental in their creative pursuit. That is a it's like two separate opposing goals, you know? Sure. So it is hard. You're right. That That's why it's so rare. Well, yeah, like I, I've got a lot you of know? friends that are musicians on both the right and the left. And even the ones on the left, like if you were to read some of their posts, you'd think that they're like, you know, these crazy leftists. But when I talk to them, uh, I can have logical conversations with them. We might disagree, mm. but actually what we're both looking for is the same thing. Uh, we just have different ways to get there. Most of them honestly haven't looked into it as much as, and they're not thinking about it as much as I am right. and they're open to those ideas too. So I think like, you know, in a way, um, you know, they are being courted by, uh, you know, the left and people that can, you know, see the advantage of having them, uh, involved with campaigns or uh, having them involved 100%. with those type of things, but you know, they're not bad people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say most, yeah, I would say most artists, they just, a lot of them, and I don't want to sound like I know better. I'm not saying that, but a lot of them, they haven't looked at like the data. They're not cognizant of that. They're just like more romantically trying to get behind a certain message that right. they feel like is more kitschy and feels good for them. But um, I will say though, this is nothing new. Like, again, I study art history a lot. And a lot of people don't know, but if you look at some of the great tyrants throughout history, they all understood you have to utilize your artist. Interesting. Give, give, all of give, them. Give us some examples. Okay. Um, I was reading about what these dictators did in their own time when they had private time on their own. Joseph Stalin and Mao, Adam and Poets, Kim Jong-il, studied cinematography extensively. Francisco Franco, painter, Adolf Hitler, painter. You know, like these are all people who understood influence in art. And, and they always utilize a creative class for propaganda. And I'll use uh, the most recent one, Hitler, as an example, right? So um, Adolf Hitler actually had the Thule Society behind him. So I'm mentioning this because when I was in New York City, I was always hanging out with wealthy elite, right? That were left-leaning with talent. And I always noticed, I'm like, this is like, this is really smart of them. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I and then I thought about this. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do some research on this. And then I came across the Thule Society. 
And there's a lot of modern parallels. What's, which what's the Thule Society? The Thule Society is known for being like Hitler's occult background. And, but also more than that, there are also this inner network of German elites to, to congregate with a lot of their talent, world-class talent in Germany. And to me, this was like, wow. Um, the reason why the Nazis were effective, and I know people are like, where are we going with this? is because they totally understand propaganda. Their effectiveness is, is based on their mastery of utilizing propaganda. And here's what I mean. When you saw the anti-Semitic posters they started to put up, right? They started off as silhouettes of a Jewish person with a nose with the Star of David and then some German written on it. That's how it started. Four months later, Another poster comes out. Now they hired an illustrator, a different artist. And the illustrator depicted this homelessly, scary-looking Jewish guy actually grabbing money from a German boy, mm. like a cartoon. Only two months later, they depict those same Jewish people as rats now. So here's what I'm saying. The analogy of the boiling frog is always utilized in effective propaganda. But they have to, first of all, have this source of talent that they utilize for their propaganda. Because mm -hmm. the best propaganda is artists. And this is what I came to see. And, and as this is going on, Hitler also closed down this art school called Bauhaus. Bauhaus was the biggest art school in Germany at the time. And, you know, there is um, basically a chance of there being like a counterculture in Germany from the artist. And he closed that down so he can have complete control of its artist. Wow. And for me, I was like just reading this as a lesson, realizing like there's so many modern parallels. And the same reason why Jay-Z and Beyonce were up there on stage gallivanting around with Hillary Clinton is the same reason why jo Joseph Goebbels was instructed by Hitler to contact all these comedians at the time that were known that secretly agree with his Marxist ideal, like William Joyce, like all of these people. And I realized, like, this has all been done before. And this is all actually happening now. Yeah. And, and the, the propaganda of today is... Um, it's, it's also out there, but it's just, there's a lack of awareness on what propaganda is. And, um, you know, um, for example, that, that trans rainbow flag or the black flag with white letters that says Black Lives Matter, like, that's propaganda. That's not like a sign for their movement or, or that's not an invitation towards a discourse. You have to look at that as propaganda. And once you study propaganda, you can look at what exists in the dominant mainstream narrative today and call it propaganda. Sure. Oh, it's, you know? it's, it's everywhere. I mean, yeah. you know, one of the things that got me initially when Black Lives Matters kind of, it wasn't exactly when it started, but, you know, during the George, George Floyd issue. Yeah. yeah. At first, I was like, you know, we should protest certain things um, and kind of wanted to stand in solidarity. That was my mm -hmm. first thought. Uh, and then when I looked into the organization and I saw BLM was really a communist organization and mm -hmm. you see the, the, the fist, you know, and you look throughout yep. history when that, that fist was, was put up. And then you look at, that's not a coincidence, my friend. Oh, no, of course not. And, yeah. and, and then you look at the, on their website, you know, BLM, uh, their agenda, one of them was to do away with the nuclear family. And, you know, that's a communist Marxist, yeah. uh, that's staple. That's it's insane. a staple. And so, you know, just that alone, if you look at something like that, where 
they're talking about doing away with a family, like obliterating it, which they've already done many ways in the black community. You know, mm -hmm. around 75 per 75% of kids right now growing up don't have a dad. Yep. So, I mean, that's, that's already being done and we see how that's worked out. They're kicking ass. Yeah. Th They're kicking ass. It's, it's pretty obvious Yeah. what's going on. So when I saw that, I'm like, oh, and you know, they did it in a smart way too, because they, they tried to say, you know, they made it to where if you didn't support Black Lives Matters, you're a what? A racist. A racist. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know it. Yeah, 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 yeah. of oh, course. Well, of course. Really smart because it divides people e even more and nobody mm -hmm. wants to be called a racist. Yeah. And, um, you know, th that was a lot for me to unpack because it was all of a sudden kind of a dance and I didn't want to be called a racist. I kind of hit a point where I was like, you know, screw it. I don't, I don't care what they think of me because I know that I'm not that. And, yeah. uh, but it was a, it, it was an interesting thing to go through, um, as a white guy, because all of a sudden a white guy that grew, grew up in a very diverse neighborhood who was on a black fight team, team with Irvin, uh, who has lived with a black dude for the last almost nine years, Scotty mm -hmm. Dedrick and I, Dedrick is yeah. our business partner. So it's like, uh, I didn't think like that. And yeah. I had like an aha moment when I was walking uh, down the street with Dedrick and I was like, I had the thought I'm walking down the street with a black man. I'd never thought like that before. I yeah. was like, and I told him, I was like, damn dude, I, I don't want to think of you as anything but my brother, you know, but that was the programming. The propaganda had actually, you know, gotten my Divide head. and conquer. Exactly. It's really, really it's, smart. Yes. Th this is the essential strategy of collectivism, divide and conquer. And, and what I'll add is, uh, it's funny. You made me think of this quote by Thomas Sowell. Thomas Sowell says, what do you call a conservative losing an argument to a liberal? What's that? Racist. <laughs> that's, that's about, that's fitting these and, days. And, and this is where we're at. You know, um, again, if they can't back their stances with data, then they have to use culture, art, or a narrative that can just deem you as racist, sexist, bigot, homophobe, who hates the poor. That's all they got. Yeah, that is. That, Obfuscation, well, yes. Th that is where we're at because the debates or arguments, they automatically call you, you know, like I said, with yeah. Black Lives Matters, you're a, a racist. With If you don't believe biological men should compete in female sports, you're a transphobe. You know, it's either this or that. And there's a lot of nuance and gray in between there. And I'm super open-minded. I don't want but, things- but, but, but here's what there is not. Okay, yes, there's nuance and gray, but here's something that is black and white. When you come to a conversation, are you coming with good faith or not? And here's the thing. You either are or you either are not. And the problem with those on what we'll call the radical left ones again is that they do not come to actually reach a solution. They don't want to actually have something resolute with you. They want to win. They want to find a way to strawman you. They want to insult you. They want to denigrate your position and, and insult your background or something of that sort, right? So it's like, I'm cool with any disagreement if you're coming in with good faith. Well, you know, but on the other side, because I don't think it's just the left. So I, I look at some of the comments on my Instagram. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I don't align with the hate that comes out of the right too towards people. Mm. It's, it's like, come on. Like, that's not what I, I believe in or stand for. Yeah, I don't, I, what I don't like about the right is the, the degree of hypocrisy. That's my problem with the right. Um, but I will say, because I've gone on enough shows where when a person wants to dera derail and, and try to do this lowball insult when I'm not even coming at them with animus, sure, they tend to be on the left. Yeah, well, I guess what, yeah. what I'm saying is that I do think it's both sides, but mm -hmm. 
I also think that what, what you're talking about is intent. You know, yes. so if someone has a bad intention, then they, you know, it, they have a bad intention. Um, we see it more from the left. I, here's, here's a thought though. I mean, do we see it more from the left? You're talking about your experience on podcasts. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's your, that's, that's a good experience, but do we see it more on the left right now? Uh, because of the algorithm that's feeding us these thoughts. Um, I wonder that a lot because, you know, we have our echo chambers. Maybe. Yeah, maybe, you know, um, yeah. I mean, we see these vile things yeah. and we know that the propaganda is out there, but is it as much as, as we think it is? And I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm repulsed by a, a lot of what goes on. Don't get me wrong, but I'm also, I'm, I'm just trying to be open-minded and think, you know, is it propaganda to get us even more divided, which I do think the algorithm is doing that. And, um, uh, I, I do think that they've infiltrated our schools and, uh, and like you're saying, our art, they've done a lot in music. I mean, my God, like you're talking about they've infiltrated everything, man. Yeah. So yes, it's infiltrated. I, uh, and I, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you. I'm just kind of thinking. Yeah. 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 Um, sure. Yeah. So, you know, talk about that as, as far as you, you, you were talking about the, um, art scene bringing in, uh, you know, really good artists. And then you, you mentioned pedophilia like what's like what's that all about well okay um i don't want to go into conspiracy world here but i will briefly um okay when you look at culture right again this is a conversation on culture who are some of the mainstream stars we can name like sam smith doja cat Lil nas x lady gaga you know Katy perry these kind of people right You'll notice every once in a while, they represent themselves with sort of demonic projections that are off-wallish. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Where they actually wear satanic uniforms and, and in front of Super Bowl performances or- The weekend or, on Starboy where he's got the upside-down cross. 100%. Yeah. So I want your audience to know that this doesn't come from a vacuum. These come from the art world. So a lot of people don't know, but celebrities, their celebrities are at the top of the fine art sphere. And most particular is there's a woman by the name of Marina Abramovich. And she's a literal Satanist witch. Dear friends with Hillary Clinton, Jay-Z, has dinner parties with Rothschilds. The spirit cookings. She does a lot of spirit cookings. Yeah. And she's at the top of the pyramid. She's about to be the uh, ambassador uh, in Ukraine. Yes. Over the, what was it? Like an education secretary? They want a satanic witch to be one of the dominant influencers for their education program. That's, that's not conspiracy. It's uh, not a conspiracy anymore. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's known that, she's the, that they just put her as ambassador. Um, so, so Marina goes further. She's publicly declared that one of her goals is to destroy Christendom. Really? To destroy Western social cohesion. She's made that a clear stance. So, so if people are to look it up, they can... Oh, they'll, they'll find even worse than that. They'll find her doing installation art, which is, by the way, bullshit. Installation art. Like, what is that? Like, it's basically like an excuse to do some kind of degenerate performance um, of, like, as you mentioned, spirit cooking, but... It's basically like pretending like they're drinking children's blood or 
adrenochrome rituals. All these things are like out there. So, uh, Warren, can you pull that up? Um, I want people to see this because I have seen a lot of the pictures. Yeah, and yeah. It's kind of hard for people to believe. But. Yeah, yeah. Th this sounds outlandish, but literally look up Marina Abramovich, and she actually has a school called called the Abramovich Institute. I met two of the graduates, and they hated me. <laughs> what was what was their what was their worldview? Uh, so I was at the Corcoran Gallery of Art in D.C. I went to the Corcoran Ballroom, and there's these two girls dressed in all black. Both have long black hair. They look like they're trying to be like her doppelganger at this point. And this is her art school. She basically is teaching the next generation of satanic artists. And, you know, basically they were there to meet some of the uh, artists, up-and-coming up undergrad artists. And, you know, they were chatting with each of us individually because this is when I was in art school. And when it was my turn, I basically told them my interest on trying to revitalize Christian imagery and masculine aesthetics honorably, mm -hmm. you know, because we have very bad masculine examples today. So I was basically throwing it, that's what I want to be a progenitor of. And they hated it. <laughs> they were like, like, it was almost like they had an accent. Um, they, they, weren't, they weren't American born, but it was almost as if like, how dare you, the way they were talking to me. And I was like, ooh, I got a very creepy, dark energy vibe from them. Yeah, so that's, but, all, that's all I can say for that. Yeah. But, you know, have you, you know, the, the, the Satanist stuff. Yeah. Uh, like, do we know that that's her school or is that just kind of like rumors? Oh, we, I mean, if, if she's not even really like hiding it, she's friends with the person by the name of John of God. And they do like really dark rituals together and it's all. John recorded. of God, the guy that got uh, uh, indicted in Brazil? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's the one who like um, amputates bodies as a part of his art to heal. As he called himself a healer. Mm -hmm. He's not a real healer like you. <laughs> um, but, but um, yeah, she's friends with people who are into transhumanism and, and I mean, I don't, all of these are basically different terms for Satanism. But um, she doesn't hide anything. Right. None of it's even hidden because she's so connected and powerful. You know, and, and this is why, like, in a way, um, I, I boldly call myself the anti-Abramovich, <laughs> yeah. you know, because what I'm trying to do is the opposite of her, you know, through classical training techniques. But this woman gets world-class tours. She gets to show everywhere. You know, she just started a new exhibition series where there's basically a lineup of nude bodies and people have to, and they're so close together so that the people have to uh, walk through them and get touched by nude bodies. That's her current artwork. <laughs> What's that art called? Um, I can't remember the title, but but that's this is the kind of stuff she does. It's uh, no class, nothing to do with paying tribute. You know, there's no wisdom in it, and yeah, she's at the top. There's other artists, you know, there's uh, Maggie Gearlings, Kim Noble. There's a, a bunch of artists who are at the, who get all this exposure and patronage who are dark. But she's definitely the most known, so I like to mention her. Oh, yeah, pull up uh, Warren. There's one with, um, where she's got a, a skull. Yeah, just look up uh, Marina Abramovich Spirit Cooking. And you'll see, <laughs> you'll see a lot of good stuff. <laughs> yeah, click that one, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, those are her Hillary Clinton days. 
Oh yeah, that was uh, when WikiLeaks uh, released those emails. She was in the email with um, yeah, Podesta. Yeah, yeah. That she, yeah, she. And was, it's crazy how no one's talking about any of this now, isn't it? Well, I mean, it's like you talk about Pizzagate, which I don't know anything about, honestly. Like as far as the the details of it, um, but you know, it's an, an immediate conspiracy theory. I knew that she was part of it somehow. I remember seeing her name in those headlines back in the day. But um, yeah, she she's basically the um, the way the Thule Society had, like you know, again, I'm do, doing a modern parallel here with with what the Nazis did. The Thule Society had people like Dietrich Eckhart, Rudolf Hess, Hitler, you know, all, all of these like creative, influential people. Somebody had to curate all of them coming together, right? And having these weird practices. That's her, that's her like real job. Like she's like a curator to bring all these people together and do these rituals. Interesting. Is she, does she talk about being a Satanist or is it like a, kind of like a hidden thing? She won't acknowledge it. I, I mean, I, I think that, Right there shows you <laughs> all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, with a sharp knife cut deeply into the middle finger. Of yeah, your when you see when you actually pain. see her art, it's um, it's it's almost like she's try like like a female Anton Lavey, you know, you know. Although although he he had this whole intellectual side of it being you know, uh, he he intellectualized it better than she probably would, but um. Yeah, I think she's she's like a witch. I think she's an evil witch. <laughs> and now she's going to be uh, yeah. be in charge. Let's see, uh, Warren, pull up. What was uh, what's her ambassador position? What does that say? Oh, the headline. I mean, it's it's for um for Zelensky, right? Ask Marie to be ambassador yeah, yeah, for Ukraine. Go. But there was something to do with education. Yeah, it is something to do with education because they're always targeting our kids. That's always a goal. Yep, there you go. Rebuilding schools. Wow. I mean, it's, the, the goal is always our kids. It's you so know, wild. So. It's so wild. Why would you have that person in charge of rebuilding your schools in Ukraine? I mean, it's so blatant and out there uh, how wacky it is, even if it were all not true. Let's just say that. Why yeah. would you put her uh, in charge? Exactly. Of okay. I'm going to go with this train of logic. Let's say none of this is true. Okay. Yeah. Even though the whole art world in New York City knows. All right. Let's say none of this is true. A person who has a bloody animal head and, and, is, and, and adorns herself in such a way that, you know, looks, looks like, a, like a necromancer. <laughs> How are you going to put that person at the seat of power, right? But it's in charge because of the kids. The kids, yeah, the yeah, education. Yeah. What's she going to teach them? What's going to be her agenda? More uh, art like Well, you're making you're 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 going to scare me when I think about that cuz I just start thinking of like adrenochrome or something like that. <laughs> so, you know, I I don't know, but um that's yeah, fucked up shit. It's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. And most people wouldn't know who she was. I had run across a lot By of By the way, stuff that's that's ago. intentional. Like this is what I'm saying. Like if you look at like celebrities, they venerate people who don't have the million of followers and they have a different type of veneration. Yeah. You know, they they have a smaller circle of huge amount of elites. It's a very different thing. It's like, you know, like 
Like Epstein didn't have Instagram. (laughs) You see what I'm getting at? She doesn't either. Right. Like there's people who um, get to play God in the the dark sense. Right. And those people are are worshipped by controlled celebrities. Did you see the the Balenciaga stuff months ago? Yeah. 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 Did you see what I posted? I think so. Because somebody sent me. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Like I started all that viral shit. Really? That was you. Oh yeah. Uh, it was it was pretty wild. And a lot of the stuff that she does reminds me of the pictures that those people had of the children. And you know, they call it art. But yeah. Um it was just like this guy and I actually didn't even post all the stuff that I Yeah, I I found I, I actually went deep into that rabbit hole. There's some disgusting stuff, especially with that one model. Uh yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean yeah, that, yeah. that whole that whole Balenciaga thing really you know, and then if you look at the the tape on the table of the shoot, it's it's Bale B A A L. Yep. Oh, actually, Warren has it up there. Yeah, I mean that was on the tape of the shoot. Um, you know, so it's it's not Balenciaga, it's Bale Balenciaga. You know, and now now why do you think they're using kids? Oh, I I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's they're evil. It's, it's it symbolizes human sacrifice. Interesting. Because if you can hurt kids, you'll do anything evil. It, it represents complete control. And, you know, here's what I'll say. Not a lot of people can see and believe in God today. But if you go deep into the literature and if you actually open your eyes to what's actually going on, you will see the devil. Oh, yeah. And that's why the deeper a man goes, the more religious he ends up usually becoming. This is why. Because... Evil is, and its lasciviousness is out and about now. And that's why they can do things like put Marina Abramovich as the director of a, a building schools, you know, as an ambassador. Like, ambassador um, to build schools. That's, that's insane. It's bold. Yeah, very bold. That is bold. Pull up what yeah. uh, Bale is. We were just talking about that. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> who Bale is. So this is on the photo shoot, um, the Balenciaga photo shoot uh, that went. Went viral with the children. Yeah, child sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Bill was, uh, my understanding, the god of child sacrifice. Um, you remember when Alex Jones went into the Bohemian Grove? Yeah, and they were. Oh, yeah, they had a thing in Moloch, burning a child effigy. Yeah, to Moloch, right? So Moloch and Bale, Beelzebub, they're all sort of the same. Uh, they all have the same etymological root, but the idea is of sacrificing children. You know for their own self-aggrandizement. That's yeah. sort of the uh, demonic ritual that's been done. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. I mean, you see the video of Alex going in and, yeah, with them having the burning Moloch. And, Crazy. you know, it's, there's so many signs right now, and not just for the, the child trafficking and uh, child sacrifice, but just of the, you know, evil Satanism that that is going on and you know uh abramovich is one example where they're just very very bold with it now and there's so many things like that that you know people like oh it's just a coincidence oh it's just a coincidence and i can't even think of all of them right now because they happen so much now you get kind of i think that's part of the propaganda because you get kind of numb to it all I mean, nobody's talking about the boiling frog. Yeah, we're the boiling frogs right we're, now. We're right now used to a certain temperature that we should not be even tolerating. Yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's getting pretty hot. You know, <laughs> it's getting pretty hot. You yeah. Know, you think about right now in society, at least in our lifetime, it has never been this divided. Um, and it seems like it's by design. It seems like when, uh, what I see as an objective truth is put out, uh, the other side will say, well, that's not the truth. You know, they've, they flipped what the truth is and people are parroting these things. You know, you talked about, uh, you know, getting canceled out of the art scene, but you've also made some comments about, um, the, uh, trans issues that are going on right now mm. with biological men, you know, uh, competing in women's sports or in the locker rooms or, uh, children getting, uh, those surgeries early or being on hormones early. Right. Like, do you think that's part of the whole, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's all, it's all Satanism to me. You know, I, I use that blanket term. Um, now I will say like, I got in trouble or, or what cemented me being ostracized from the art world was the fact that I focused on masculine art. Mm -hmm. That's what sort of cemented it. And a lot of people will think like, why is that? What? Because you have to look at the prism of the art world. And um, so me, me getting kicked out was, was first like a social reason because none of us could really see eye to eye. Uh, I just kept burning those bridges. But what really cemented it was the fact that I decided to really focus on uh, revitalizing biblical imagery and masculine imagery. And, um, it, and the reason why I do so is because I, I believe that 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 honorable patriarchal traditional masculinity needs to sort of bring, make its way back for our culture to survive. Sure. That is my belief. And I will say, you know, it's not a coincidence that the most canceled figures of our time all represent unapologetic, all unapologetic masculinity. You know, Donald Trump, Andrew Tate, yay to a degree as well because he's a rapper and, and, and the attraction to hip hop in the first place is a freedom to be hyper-masculine. That's why hip hop is popular. So why are they canceled? Because they represent men being themselves, you know, without apologizing in a public square that deems any sense of masculinity as toxic. So for me, I always was aware of this because everything's so gynocentric today. And that's why I thought, I want my art to focus on benevolent, honorable, idyllic masculinity. That's why I paint Musashi and, and these warriors. And, 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 um, and, and my desire is because I think it's been underemphasized and I'm sort of overemphasizing it as like a correction. Mm -hmm. And that's why I obsess with this sort of uh, imagery. I think it's lacking today. So I'd rather put that type of art out into the world. Gotcha. What, I mean, you know, but the left didn't like that. I mean, not just, I mean, the galleries didn't like that. I was focusing on that subject matter. They just liked my style. Like, oh, you, oh, you know, keep painting tigers and, <laughs> and, and we like your, your brush technique and your mark making and people like it. And it's almost like using my, my art without like the message and the mm -hmm. weight. And, but I wanted to, I wanted to sort of be a warrior in the realm of ideas with my brush like putting down the sword and picking, picking up the brush. Sure. That's sort of like Ronan-esque feeling. I wanted to do that, you know? Yeah, I mean, what do you think though? Like, because, I mean, the term toxic masculinity, it just kind of gets thrown around right now. Yeah. Um, 
I think that there is, um, I don't even like to call it masculinity that's bad. I think there's, there's bad people that do bad things, but I, th- I think that the, the design seems to be they want to make the masculine so gross. They want to demonize it. That they, you know, bring people- I don't believe toxic masculinity is a thing, to be honest. I think the absence of masculinity is what is toxic because I think the more masculine a person is, the more he wants to protect his wife, the more he wants to love his kids, the more he wants to provide resources for them. I think more masculinity means more love, provisioning, and protection and guidance. I think the absence is where you have these like pseudo little beta, beta males who compensate by doing destructive things because <laughs> that's how they compensate. So I, I don't even believe that term. I think that's, uh, that's just the way they stigmatize people. Um, and actually, it's funny because often when people project these terms onto the world, that's what they are. So when mm-hmm. they're saying, we live under a patriarchy, I'm like, Bitch, I argue we live under a matriarchy, personally, you know? And um, I think this is all projection. And we live in a a cult of feminism today. I believe that the West lives under that cult. And let me make this very clear, because I know a lot of your audience is probably like, who is this Asian guy who sounds sexist now? Uh, I'm totally an egalitarian. Women should have the right to do whatever they want to do. But my point is that the archetypal spirit we live under in other words, like you said, everyone repeats about the patriarchy and toxic masculinity, right? And, and it's because they understand there's the archetype of the wise king, but the contrast is the archetype of the high chair tyrant, you know, like the drunken abuse of dad, mm-hmm. the, the negative manifestation of masculinity. But nobody talks about the negative feminine, which is the overprotective mother. And that is the spirit we've been living under. Because, for example, the medical apartheid we just went through with the vaccine mandates and, and, and the mask, mask requirements, that's all the overprotective mother. Mm. Because an evil force that's saying, I'm doing this because mommy loves you. It's for your protection. It's for your good. Stay inside. Don't have fun. Yeah. It's because we love you. And then I'm going to bring in state power for your protection. Yeah. That is the spirit of the overprotective mother. And that is why uh, I believe our world is very gynocentric right now, especially the West. So all we like to do in a dominant way, very, we're allowed to casually lambast masculinity and fathers and, and talk denigrate them all day. And the reason why we can even do that is because we live in a feminized world. Because the moment I say one thing about, one negative thing about the collective feminine psyche, what happens? Everyone attacks you. Of course. Of course. You know? Yeah, the, the, it, it, it triggers the mob. Yeah, at, 100%. <clears throat> It's interesting what's going on with feminism right now. I just ordered uh, a bunch of books on queer theory and feminism just because I want to really understand where we're at in society right now, uh, or at least their way of thinking. How are they thinking about this? Um, And I guess we're in the fourth wave of feminism, Mm -hmm. and it's based off of queer theory. And so it actually, to me, you know, people think of feminism and women's rights. um, Yeah. Although it's way past that. It's it's supposed to be about equality. Yeah. But, you know, to me, modern feminism takes away the rights of women. They do. Because, you know, you talk about like men dominating women. If they were really concerned with men dominating women, why would they have biological men going in uh, competing in women's sports or having biological men uh, going in and being in office? 
and you know that identify as women. By the way, biological men that, that, that identify as women going and you know and, and competing in sports. Uh, it's just men dominating women. If if that's yeah. it, and it's weak men because those men you know can't compete uh, in general on, on the level that um, other men can. I mean, they got they got <laughs> Bruce Jenner, which is a lot to unpack. Caitlin, uh, yeah, Caitlin, well, Caitlin Jenner, sorry, <laughs> but they got, you know, they got Bruce to become Caitlin. Um, and there's obviously some stuff going on. Yeah. The, the woman of the year <clears throat> is a man. That's my point. Men, you know? men really are the best women. I mean, that just proves. <laughs> and, 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 not, and, and also like, I think mo the most important factor of what you're saying is that like, they make women who want to be caretakers and mothers feel like losers. Cause they say, no, you're supposed to kick those men's asses. And, and the, the my problem with this whole gender craze is that like the feminists are getting equality and identicality confused. Like they don't understand, like back then women understood like we can be complimentary, mm -hmm. but today they're literally trying to, they're trying to get rid of it, men almost, you know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, we're way beyond the egalitarian feminist conversation because <laughs> also women are kicking all their asses when it comes to, uh, college representation, income for, uh, for people, for men in the twenties versus women in the twenties, they're, they're, men are getting their asses kicked. Well, not in a good place. I'm all for equal opportunity. Yeah. yeah I really too. I mean, I'm all for women getting the pay. Yeah. The no one's arguing that. <laughs> men, the same time I know. Yeah. But yeah. my point is yeah, I'm for those things, but, and, and that's what I think a lot of the people think that this is about like, Oh, women aren't paid yeah, equally. It's, it's like, actually, uh, that's been debunked many times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, in those studies, they're not working as much. Um, there's a lot of things that, uh, come into play there, but yeah, in, in their twenties right now, women are making more money than men. And guess what? If they're working yeah. harder, by the way, yeah. I'm all for it. If they're uh, the best person for the job, they should be making more money. Than I, men. I think there, I think that a big reason for that is there is right now also a, uh, there's been a crisis in masculinity. Yeah. A lot of men are simply checking out, um, for multiple reasons, but the first thing is that, you know, hypergamy is on steroids. So that in conjunction to the fact that a big reason why we do what we do is for sexual gratification. Human as males, right? And the dating market has become the situation where as women's standards go up, more men are ostracized. So it, so a lot of men are just simply having no more incentive mm. to go forward. And this is uh, is happening with millennials and definitely Zoomers. What do you mean with uh, uh, women's standards going up? What does that mean? So hypergamy is this idea that's basically proven that that women date up, and you know, oh. and men men date down. That's the basic idea of it. And um, you know, I've studied pretty extensively the decline of civilizations, and I would argue we are kind of in a decline. I'm not saying that the knell of doom is around the corner and, and it's, it's uh, burning skies and pandemonium. I call it first world hell world. So here we are in this beautiful estate, bridges full of goodies, AC, nice equipment, but spiritually, the collective mass is very zombified romantically. Mm -hmm. Like we're sort of calloused in this way. Um, so I call it first world hell world. And what I look at is when you study every empire that has fallen, there's three stages, Ed. Okay, so we're in between stage two and three. 
The first stage is the death of God or the lack of reverence for a higher order. And Frederick Nietzsche writes about this in The Gay Science when he said that God is dead. You know, everyone's heard of this sentiment. Jordan Peterson has been talking about it on stage, reanimating this, this important lesson. Uh, and once that happens, you sort of are castrated from a sense of a higher order and your reverence is gone now. Look how irreverent we are. We don't have reverence today, right? So that's the first stage. Hmm. And once that happens, the moral structure above is sort of castigated. So what happens next? The next stage is female sexual liberation. And I specify female sexual liberation, not male, because it, what happens is um, there's a guy named J.D. Unwin. He wrote a, his magnum opus called Sex and Culture. And he studied 86 different cultures through 5,000 years of recorded history. And he found that with the Sumerians, the Babylonians, the Athenians, the Romans, what they all had in common is once we give up our belief in God, women become sexually liberated. And once they're sexually liberated, men no longer want to fight to maintain their social cohesion. Interesting. We lose our purpose, our cohesion. And then the third stage, and we're in between stage two and three right now. That's why we have all these red pill podcasts, by the way, or feminist pwn videos. It's because we're, we're trying to backtrack, but we're in between stage two and three. And the last one is desecration of beauty and rewriting history. And Roger Scruton writes about this in his book, Beauty. So basically, we're, we're, we're right at the stage where we're going to start seeing some serious negative return for this widespread promiscuous whoredom. And I'm not trying to be a hater or anything. I'm just saying from studying, reading all the literature, this is what's going to happen, I think. Kind of like Rome? Yeah, just like Rome. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't know that the women... Keep in mind how, how Rome fell apart as well. You know? I'm sorry to interrupt, by the way. Uh, um, but, but great empires, they fall from the inside out. Like yeah. when Rome fell, they were having orgies and they had all, they, everyone had like their own wine cellar. You know, they had like, all, you know, th there's wealth when, when Rome fell. And, you know, the Ottoman Empire was being led by a 23-year-old general at the time. And how did he, he take down an army that was literally 15 times larger? You know why? Because they didn't care to defend it at that point because they were so obstreperous from the inside. Mm -hmm. So, of course, the walls will fall. Yeah, I didn't know that, that throughout history though, that, that the women had gotten super promiscuous. I mean, Every time. Yeah. And they had to deal with pregnancy, though. I mean, the sexual liberation this time was, you know, really with birth control, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so we, we, ours is even worse, actually. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because they, they, you know, yeah. it's... And, and again, again, I'm not slut shame or whatever you call it. I'm simply looking at the fact that, look, you, you do the basic calculus. You just do the basic arithmetic here. If you're looking at a guy who, you know, it's like, how can I put this? It's like, um... If nothing is pure anymore, right? If nothing is pure, and I'm talking about like female virginity and being chaste. Mm -hmm. If nothing is pure, then in a way, nothing is sacred, right? And if nothing is sacred, why should I care if some unassimilatable culture sends us men and takes them? Because I don't feel connected to them because it's not something I want to protect in the first place anymore. Like I'm, I mean, I'm sussing this out as I'm talking sure. to you, but yeah. but that's sort of the, the gut feeling that that the common man has today, right? So I'm I'm just um, so they're I'm they're just feeling like they, the common man feels like they can't get women, or it's not even worth it. Um, I well, I wouldn't say 
I, like a lot of these movements, like MGTOW and all these things, I'm doing my own thing. I would say a lot of that is cope. Wait, I think wait, what, what, I don't know anything about these movements. What movements. Okay, okay. So there's all these groups like this manosphere content, red pill, blue pill. There's all these like like philosophies about you know trying to gain women and all these things in the internet community. Most of those trying to all, gain like a dating. Is it like dating. Pick stuff? up all of this stuff. Okay, got it. Most of it is LARPing. What's, what Most, does that mean? Oh, it's it's like they're acting or they're coping. Like okay. like for example, um, like I don't I I am not a tradcon guy. For example, like I'm not into red pill or any of this stuff, and I'm saying this because most of that is a disguise. Um, so I wouldn't say that they're they're giving up because you know they can't get women or something. I think the women don't want them. Ah, uh, I think that's the first thing. I think I, like for example, people who call themselves tradcon. What does that like, mean? There's a there's a movement on Twitter, especially called TradCon, like traditional conservative. Okay, TradCon. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. and they like to say, yeah, the reason why you know I have this belief is because I'm like a conservative Christian warrior, but but actually they're just unfuckable losers that lean right. Yeah. You see what I'm <laughs> you see what I'm getting at? Yeah. So it's a it's a great way okay. to cope their incel them, or when they say I'm a dark triad. What's that like, mean? See, these are terms that like this is goes to show you that you have a life. <laughs> I have no idea what any of this shit means. So, 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 dark triad in the red pill space is like basically a person who has like Machiavellian characteristics, and that that you know, it's like it's different costumes they wear, but these are just more like these are just more ugly incels who are socially inept. Like all of these, the whole space, red pill, manosphere. All, like I'm starting to realize that it's all a way for men to just flex on each other. Interesting. That's what I've come to see. But but just to tie it all together, I think that um, men are simply just checking out because they're seeing that it's just too much. Uh, it's too much effort to even play the game, um, and, and and for the value of what it's like. Uh, I think it's called hoflation. Like hoflation. Yeah, it's 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 hoflation. <laughs> what is that? Hopeflation is the fact that men today, you and I, have to work 10 times harder mm-hmm. than, our, than our grandfathers did mm-hmm. for a woman 100 times worse. Oh, really? Is that what it is? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I guess... Yeah, again, I, again, I'm talking about the average man for sure. a reason. No, yeah, I, because, I'm thinking because, too, though, because, you know, I, and I don't know about any of all, all that stuff. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, from a dating standpoint, my experience is, let's say, you know, a, a man that's... 35, you know, 40 years old, you generally don't date someone 35 or 40 years old. If you haven't, uh, yeah, sure. if you haven't, if you're not already married or something like that, don't yeah, have yeah. a girlfriend. Um, and you know, let's say you're dating someone 25 to 30, you know, a little younger The the, the men in their twenties, I'm, I'm 42 now and I've got an awesome girlfriend, but yeah. Uh, you know, the congrats. Oh, thanks. Yeah. She's, yeah, yeah she's, she's really cool. Uh, but the men, the, the competition now is so weak. These men are just a bunch of little betas. But but they're giving. This is my point. They're they're giving up altogether. Yeah, because because they're, they're they're betas. They're being little bitches. But, but, well, 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 that's half true. Okay. What's but what I, what I will say is that eighty uh, percent of women want twenty percent of men. Anyways, wait, eighty percent of eighty percent of women want twenty percent of men. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah. So, 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 I, I, how, so if that's the case, then why don't you become the man that women want? Um, so, so this is, there's a harsh truth in it. And here's what I'll agree I've with. always felt like, I mean, not get any woman that I wanted, but I mean, 
you know, I've always felt like I, yeah. I could do just fine. If someone, I love that. If someone didn't yeah. like me for whatever reason, I'm like, it's more like, as far as not necessarily like a dating wise, but if they had a problem, I'm nice to everybody. I try sure. to be open-minded. I stand sure. my ground, but you know, so, uh, I've always thought, you know, well, why, you know, we should be able to talk to, to anybody. Sure. Um, so I'm just curious to like, what, what are the, what's the other side? Let me hear the other side. So, so what I want to agree with is that, yeah, if you're in the corner sulking and acting like a little doomer bitch, then, then you're just an idiot. That I agree with. But what I will say is that um, the standards of, again, we're talking about hypergamy. It's only getting harsher and more worse. So you get to a point where, um, we're, I would say we're at a point where, you know, if, if a guy isn't, you know, all those characteristics that women want, you know, they'll, they'll be like, oh, they, I want him to be whatever, like six foot tall, six <laughs> figures. Like, yeah, those be, guys be hot. look like a, a, a half a percent of the population. When, when, this is what I'm saying. But, but, but those are the guys women want. Those are the and, yeah, and, and it's so, and it's bec- so, no no but it's becoming more and more evident where I would say like even girls who are zoomers like literally like 18 20 year old girls mm-hmm. they just get DM'd by those guys now so basically we're at this point where they get DM'd by which guys um the winners oh okay yeah the- yeah like 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 basically men who have a plethora of option they're just they're just going through women and and then the guys who are working on themselves, you know, they ha- you know either they get it together by thirty five mm-hmm. and now they're ready to go, sure, or they're just uh, <laughs> or, or you know they're just they just give up. And I guess what I'm saying is a lot of a lot of men they have a they don't delay gratification and they don't have the incentive to go forward with that today. And I think it's um I think it's sad, but I think that's another part of the equation because we talked about all these these dark forces going on today. And I think that one of the ultimate tools of Satan is actually utilizing feminism in this way to make men no longer have incentive. Mm. So I think this is a part of that equation. Yeah. Well, and you know, we're talking about masculinity. Uh, I feel like, I mean, and we've talked about how they're almost emasculating guys, uh, yeah. men and, you know, public uh facing uh idea for women is that they don't want a masculine man but the reality behind it is they absolutely do um and all of these women that you're talking about that like that at least say 20 percent of men 80 percent of women like 20 percent of men uh i would all dating up i I would bet 80 percent of those 90 percent of those men were masculine and not a bunch of betas and, mm. um, you know, all, all those, like, when I hear those numbers, I kind of laugh because like, whatever, I don't even know about sure. any of that shit. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm not looking to be single. I got a great I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, just try, I'm just trying to relate with like everyday man, right? Yeah, everyday and, man and, and, is a and, step up though. That's the thing. Everyday man right now, you know, to me, they don't act like what I would consider a man. And, you know, it's, it's not, um. You know, it's, it's in many ways when I see them, like I see a lot of men like whining and, oh, this isn't fair. It reminds me of the, the left uh, whining. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, again, if they're sitting in a corner sulking, then yeah, they're, they're wasting their breath. Sure. Um, I, I agree with that, but um, I try to empathize a little bit just because what I see is when they look for 
mentors, mm. you know, or when they look for guidance. Um, obviously, first thing that comes to my mind is go to a fucking martial arts dojo. There's things you can do, sure. right? But but there's people who are so wayward that when they do look, all they hear is man up, mm. and they're not like and 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 they're they're approaching it innocently, which they slightly. would say is toxic masculinity. Right? Yeah, yeah, but you know, but but it's just um, I'm just trying to predict based on a little bit of unwin, but also based on things that I'm seeing, uh, I think it's going to get worse. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to get to a point where we are a more open and shamelessly polygamous society where basically it's like a couple, you know, there's going to be men who have multiple girlfriends and maybe even multiple families, whilst there's going to be all of these men who they build up resentment and anger towards the, towards the culture. Mm. Um, I think we're just headed towards that way. Sure. Yeah, and, and um, you know, it, it's look. If I had a red button right here, Ed, mm -hmm. I can just push it, and it cuts off, you know, the welfare state and 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 um, um, you know, enforces monogamy and like all the circumstantial stuff that you want, so that there's more pair bonding to create families across the board. I would do it, but I don't have that button, and this conversation is being avoided. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, I don't. It it looks really bad. That's all I'm saying. So, so what's what's your? Are you, are you uh, in a relationship? Do you get married? Like, what's I'm single. You're single. Um, is is what's your experience like dating right now? How, how old are you? I'm 32. 32. Okay. So, what's your experience like? You know, dating right now. So I I just you know I I broke off with uh one girl. Uh, it's been maybe six months now. Mm -hmm. I met her in New York. I, I've just been dating girls. You know, I, I, I have a preference for, for a monogamous relationship. I'm more of a romantic. Sure. Um, but yeah, I've been just dating women. And, and I just haven't felt, you know, convinced to make a family. To or settle or something. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, no it's no, cool. Yeah. I, I was like that for a long time. I mean, yeah. my, uh, my 20s, gosh, I, I dated <clears throat> this one girl from 22 to 26. And, uh, I was super young, thought we were going to get married, you know, and, uh, it's a long time, man. 22 to 26. Oh yeah. 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 I was with her for three years. Yeah. I, I met her after, uh, she, she's a ballerina. Okay. And she was performing at the Kennedy. Oh, cool. DC. And then one of my friends, uh, he's connected with the director. He's like, I'll take you to the back. You can meet her. Nice. And so I just took her out, but, um, um, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> but, but you get to a point where you're like, all right, well. You know, it's like we're in a different time. It's funny because I have these these traditional values, but um, I'm also seeing that the world has changed so much. Like we're not in, you know, I guess I'm looking for romance in 2023 hookup culture in a way. Mm. <laughs> There's that element too. That's how, that's how people in my generation feel quite a bit. Unless they grew up away from cities, mm -hmm. they have the highest percentage of that. But that line that stacks up better when they're like in their early twenties and they're away right. from cities and you have a more chance of meeting somebody who's uh who may be more interested in pair bonding and creating a family. But I grew up in cities my whole life. So even though I hold these values close to my heart, the dating market that I'm interacting with was um, you know, more about the fun. Sure. You know, which which was fun. But eventually you 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 know, it's uh uh, you get zombified eventually. Yeah. 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 No doubt about it. Yeah. I mean, as the, <laughs> you know, that's been, 
you know, kind of my experience in, in a way, as far yeah, as yeah. just not finding the right person for a long yeah. time. And that's okay too. I mean, I, and again, I'm, and I'm a total romantic. I'm a fucking artist. Yeah. Like, 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 like there's nothing I enjoy more than traveling with a beautiful woman and looking at old art. Interesting. Like looking at like hieroglyphics in like Egypt or going to the Vatican and seeing marble statues. Like that's still, that kind of adventure. Yeah. And you're with a beautiful woman. Like that's like, that's such a high for me. I got to love that. Yeah. You know? And, but, um, you know, they tend to be like two, three years max. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's kind of finding the you person, know? man. That's part of yeah, the yeah, 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 Especially yeah. It, you're right. It's a different, different time, different culture. Um, yeah. you know, generally I, I found, you know, the older, the, the, the more in my thirties that I got, um, you know, I kind of wanted to start settling down a little bit more, but I wasn't attached to it. I'm like, oh, whatever. Sure, sure. And then I think, you know, when you kind of meet somebody, uh, it just kind of happens. The relationship I've been in now isn't that long. It's like nine well, years. Well, I'll tell you what the smartest guys are doing in, in that um, the smartest people who see all this, the, the feminization of the West, what they tend to do is they go overseas because the feminism is, um, uh, we're, again, we're talking about the toxic feminism that we're toxic. We're not talking, we're not talking about uh, egalitarian values. Um, but, you know, we're the spirit of not shaming a woman for being a woman. Mm -hmm. That's, still exist overseas. That's what a lot of the guys who did not have the privilege of growing up in a smaller town or who grew up in cities. Sure. Creatures like us in a way, right? Like like the smart ones, they tend to go overseas. There's a movement called Passport Bros. And then the idea is that like, well, there's women who have not been like infiltrated by this, this uh, I hate men ideology <laughs> and they just go overseas where they're much more amicable and pleasant. That's what a lot of them are doing. I'm not saying I do, uh, like, but that's what I've seen work for some of my sure. friends. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the whole, it, it shouldn't be seen as a I hate men philosophy. I mean, I know Nashville is not like that. <clears throat> There's, at least in the, the, let's say, the social scene of people that are going out that are, you know, single per se. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would say it's, it's not like that. I, this is, I like Nashville. That's what I'm saying. Um, it's definitely like this in New York City, more so Lower East Side, where I had a concentration of art shows. Mm -hmm. um, there is a view that looks at any man who either has money or stature or any type of flex as he stole that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Crazy. Now, but you, you know, when you start debating or talking to those people, they have no arguments. It's just like this, they, they really show up to me as kind of dumb uh, because they can't go back and forth and have a conversation with you about it because they haven't really thought about it. They're like, I'm mm -hmm. taking this position with no thought. I hate men. You know, yeah. they're just, and then you, you try to talk to them and they get offended that you're even questioning uh, the hate and the bigotry that they're bringing at you. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's happened to me, you know, it actually happened to me recently. That's why uh, I left. Yeah. That's it. I, that's why I love New York to, to still woke DC, but way less woke. Yeah. Cause I was getting tired of that. I think the most important you know? thing though, is actually holding your ground for me. Like whenever I hear bigoted, uh, you know, uh, remarks, uh, especially toward actually towards anybody, I don't like it. Hmm. I don't even like it towards trans. I don't, I don't think that, you know, we, we can have conversations that are logical, but I don't think we should hate any group just because they're a group, you know, uh, trans woman man 
black, white, whatever. I don't think that we should hate people for, uh, or just dislike them because of who they are, like what, what, what their, uh, nationality is anything. I don't think that's the right way to be. I believe in free speech. Yeah, no, yeah. I absolutely believe in free speech. Yeah. But you, you take these, these ideas like, um, you know, the women hating men now, uh, that idea and thinking that that's somehow going to help when, whenever we hate different groups, uh, like if you look throughout history, it's, it's been, we, they, they pit these groups against each other and, uh, it's just a, a same side of a, a different coin, mm-hmm. you know? So, I mean, it's just, that's what we're seeing over and over again. And they don't really have any arguments for them. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, Again, like, and I want to make this clear, like, I'm not interjecting this into the ethos. These, this is like when I, I can sit from a bird's eye view and I can see this is what's happening in the culture right sure. now. Sure. Right now, like, there's a book by Christina Hoff Summers. Uh, she wrote, um, um, what was it? Um, but, oh, uh, The War Against Boys, I believe. Um, and she was a feminist back in the day. She was like, you know, fighting for women being allowed to go to college mm-hmm. back then. And then, and then she got two sons and she realized what you described it's flipped. Mm-hmm. And now the boys are being penalized in the same manner. And to me, that was very, um, it was enlightening hearing a woman who actually was like fighting for the rights of women saying that how now it's on the other side. Well, yeah, it has been flipped. <laughs> I mean, I, I used to support, yeah. uh, the LGBTQ Plus, well, I think that's all of them right now. Community. Yeah, whatever. Uh, I supported gay marriage before uh, it was popular. I mean, Obama and Hillary Clinton didn't support it. And, um, you know, I thought that they were being attacked unfairly. That was, my, that was my, my view. But now I see them as the bullies. Back then I saw them getting bullied. And now I see them as the bullies because they're yeah. using their- I'm happy you say that. Because you should be allowed to, this is my point, like we should be allowed to have conversations on anything, yeah. right? It should be an open communication. And yeah, I mean, to me, that's, that's, that's very obvious. But, you know, you just said one of the uh, sacred cows, you can't say. What's that? What you just said. You're not supposed to say that in the dominant narrative that we live in. Oh, that they're, that, the, but the, it's, they it's are, pretty yeah. clear. And yeah. I wish yeah. there were another group that wasn't, you know, because LGBTQ plus. You, you know what I say? I, I always say, I'm not a homophobe. I'm a homo board. I don't give a shit. But they keep putting it in my face. And, and it, so, that, so, so this is what I'll say. I never cared about the issues, actually. Because I used to have an art student, Adams Morgan, in Washington, D.C. Before I went to New York, when I tried to make my career in D.C. And I remember there was um, the Women's March, right? Uh, uh, this is uh, during Trump's first in. Right, so everyone's rabid and angry. I went to my studio to paint, and I I had uh, two floors. I was upstairs painting, and I heard all these like shouting and all the stuff. I'm like, ah, whatever. I'm just gonna ignore it. Put my stereo music up loud. Uh, then I go outside, take a little break from painting, and there was a, a gay section of the march, like a bunch of gay people who got together, right? And in my head, I'm like, all right, I don't care, right? But then I look to my left. And there's a little kid, and he just like this. And I look at what he's looking at, and there's a float with these two guys wearing leather and assless chaps, mm-hmm. like making out and dancing with each other. Yeah. And on one hand, I'm like, listen, 
there's also decency. Sure. So if I point that out, which I did, I was being called a homophobe for that. Sure. I'm like, if there was a straight couple doing that, I would be disgusted as well because kids don't need to see that. But it seems that when I pointed it out that a gay couple was doing this, it was enough for this animus to come at me so aggressively. Yeah. And, and I realized, okay, this is one of their sacred cows right there. <clears throat> well, I think there's a balance. I think there's a balance. Balance of leather? Oh, no. <laughs> no. I mean, I, as far as, you know, for a long time, gay people were attacked and weren't part of society and weren't, weren't seen as equal. Uh, a lot of time, for a long time, they were bullied. Um, and, you know, I, I always see that wrong. I, I see when people are bullying other people as wrong. I've been sticking up for people my whole life. I've yeah, you're a fighter. Fighting bullies. Yeah. I don't like it. Um, you know, and... But it has moved to where now I see them as the bullies. I see how they treat people. I see the mobs that pile on. And whereas, you know, before probably, you know, being a fighter, uh, being masculine and supporting the LGBT uh, community at the time, uh, you know, that wasn't the popular thing to do. But now it's switched. And it's, it, it's so interesting to me because it's the same thing. It's just, they're on the other side now. Uh, and they're the, they're the ones that attack. And I'm like, Oh, y'all are the bullies now. So now I'm going to stand up uh, against you as well. If the, the dominant narrative is against you. Yeah. White people are evil. Men are patriarchal pigs. Yes. Gay people deserve reparations. Like, like you're a straight white man. Yeah. So, so the dominant narrative is against you. It is right now. It is right now. It's pretty clear. Uh, and, yeah. um, but that's okay. I mean, I've been fighting my whole life and yeah, yeah. I see what's going on. And if anybody that uh, is being intellectually honest, they, they see what's going on. And it's it, the, Clown world. The, the amount of bigotry and racism uh, just across the board when it comes to those that used to be, let's call them oppressed. I, I don't like to, to use those terms, but let's call them oppressed for a minute. Those that, uh, use those terms. Um, uh, they're now just kind of attacking, you know, attacking white masculine men and they want you to be beta and it's just bigotry and, 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 and hatred. And actually that, that action itself, that is sexist to men. Yeah. That is racist to white people. Of course. Like, like literally it's, it's, they're doing, they're doing what they say you're doing. Yes. You know, no, no, it's obvious though. <laughs> yeah. They need to read some young. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> Literally. Yeah. It's obvious what, what, what they're doing, but you know, you just gotta know that it's not true mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, stand up for what you believe. And, and be that's a, why be these conversations person. need to be more normalized. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and you know, what about being a good person? Like I don't believe in any of the bullshit where it's the, the white patriarchy or all of that, or it's this group's fault. It's like, I would do good for, a black person, just like I would do for any white person. I would do good for any trans person, just as I would for any white person. It doesn't, it doesn't matter to me, um, those labels. And I think that what's got me is I thought that it was pretty much, uh, we were aligned in the idea that we shouldn't be judged by the color of our skin, for instance, by the content of our character. Like MLK said, that's, that's how I grew up thinking like that. And yeah, I've just realized the last three or four years that um, 
the model. Like they're judging you by the color of your skin like, and the content, listen, yeah, rather like, than the content of the character. Yeah. yeah like, well, I guess MLK is irrelevant now, according to them. You know, his, his, his ideas, because he wasn't for that. So uh, it's hypocritical, you know, for those that are attacking, yeah, white people. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's the same bigotry uh, as if they were attacking black people or if they were attacking other groups just because of, of physical characteristics. 100%. Yeah. And normalizing the conversations, I mean, it's a dance because people, I don't think they're able to, they're not able to hear it without jumping to conclusions. Uh, and I think the algorithms are really pushing that. I mean, I get called a Trump supporter uh, all the time and I'm not a Trump supporter. Mm. You know, I, I like some of the things he did, Yeah, but uh you know, I got called a right-wing Trump supporter and a left-wing libtard in the same week on a you know, different post. Really? But um, that's interesting. People that's, jump to conclusions. What a combo. Oh, yeah. It's like, that's, that's kind of a compliment. <laughs> you know? It's like, thank you. Yeah. But, um, you know, so society just jumps to those, those conclusions where, you know, I just, I'm not aligned with bigotry. Right. It's, it's not, I, I don't believe in that. I think that's actually the problem. When we put people in these groups and we use the, all the identity politics you're you're an independent thinker. Oh yeah, and, and and this is um, you know um, this is a challenge because we do live in polarizing times where things seem to be only getting more antithetical, and the tribalism is only accelerating. So, you know, it's it's interesting because I do often wonder, like, yeah, maybe there's a a tribe I would rather have window, you know. <laughs> And that's um that's kind of where I'm because I used to call myself a conservative. This is like back in the day too, like um especially when I was supporting Trump at that time. And um I, I'm still pro Trump, but uh, I was uh now I'm at the point once I saw all this hypocrisy on the ride and how they couldn't get together and how they were so uninvolved in the cultural front for the most part. I'm now like this anarcho capitalist kind of guy, mm. something of that sort, you know? Yeah. Um yeah. I've been that before. And sometimes I go back to it. I'm not, I'm not exactly yeah. sure what I am. You yeah, know, ultimately. Yeah. I, I, just, I just hate the government. Yeah. That's a big part of it for me too. Well, it's interesting that those that are pushing for, uh, you know, for all these laws and all this uh, pushback against white people or different groups or men mm -hmm. or anything like that uh, are asking for more government because it's really not just white people. that it. It's been the government that has been the cause of, you know, most of these atrocities. Yeah. It's government involvement that I'm, that, that to me is a real issue. Yeah. 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 I think the state ruins everything, including marriage. <laughs> oh, yeah. You don't think the government yeah. should be uh, involved in marriage? No. No. Yeah. I, I just have too many, uh, I hear too many stories from good men who are noble. Basically got screwed over because state was involved. Yeah. Basically, it's, you know, no-fault divorce. It just basically penalizes fathers. So that's the one thing that I, I, I... The only men's issue that I can, like, kind of, like, understand as, like, this, you know, these online communities and all this crap is uh, protecting fathers to ensure their posterity because they want to see their kids when divorce happens. That's, yeah. that's the one thing I can, like, totally understand. That's an example of something that's unfair. Yeah, it's, it's totally unfair. Um, Especially when it... What? So eighty percent of uh, divorces are started by women, I believe. Initiated by women, and the number one reason is dissatisfaction. Wow, they're not satisfied. They divorce. They take kids. Take take your money. 
Yeah. Um, I have a friend. I'm not going to name him because he's he's big. Um, he started a not he started a a pretty big burger franchise, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, he did very well. But he was a very uh, hardworking. He would describe himself this way to a nerdy kind of guy. He studied hard in school. He got his business degree hard, like you know, aces. You know, working hard kind of guy. But he did not understand female nature at all. Cause he like he pretty much just had his nose in the books. So once he got the success, uh, the first beautiful woman that gave him attention, he thought was it was. He thought it was love. Yeah. He thought it was like, wow, this beautiful, like, this is, this is it. Like I made it. And, but because he didn't have the experience to understand how they can be Medusa and they can take advantage of you. And he gave her a ring, got her all the stuff. And then when they separated, it was, she took him to the cleaners. So they were married. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. He was just ignorant to understanding that that can happen. Cause see, cause um, when we don't talk about, we should talk about the dark side of men. Of course. But if we don't talk about the dark side of women, this happens. And the more you understand aesthetics, which is my mastery, mm-hmm. aesthetics allows you to look through that because, you know, in the same way um, propaganda works, propaganda works by, you can wrap demonic hatred beautifully and the masses will normalize it for you, right? Mm-hmm. That's propaganda. Well, in the same way, a woman can be gorgeous with her makeup and her body on point. But she can be a Lilith. She can be a witch, you know? Sure. And and these kind of stories is what makes me very tenacious about bringing the state involved. And and I've gotten the chance to get married a couple times from girls who actually, like, basically proposed to me. (laughs) And and, and I I just couldn't go through with it, you know? Yeah. I, I said we can be life partners and maybe think about kids and all this, but... um. I don't want to bring the government involved. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, the I mean, you can't do a prenup, of course. Uh, government's still involved. I, I totally prenups, prenups don't stand though. Well, it depends. Depends. They can. They can. I mean, you think what like Kevin Costner's doing pretty well right now. Okay. Uh, there's you know you gotta you gotta have it set up. You know yeah. exactly. You gotta right. do a postnup also, and you have to update it every uh, couple of years. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a whole thing. They can. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that it's foolproof but i'm saying there's yeah, there's yeah. things that you can do to protect yourself and you know you better know who you're marrying you know you, you better have shared values and yes people you know can, i often wonder what's wrong with loving a woman with all your heart she loves you with all your heart and you guys th- just live together oh, I, don't, like I mean no I, although common law marriage in virginia where i'm at will happen after a while it'll take i don't think there's <laughs> anything i don't think there's anything wrong with that i, I, I yeah, don't at all yeah. actually uh, i think traditionally you see you know, you see marriage. Yeah, married and, through the church. And I think that we should, we should have, you know, really strong families right now. Yes. I and mean, you look at like, yes. what's going on in the black community. It's pretty simple. Uh, they're growing up without fathers. 75% of uh, black kids right now are growing up without fathers. And that is a problem. How do we fix that? You know, and, you know, if you look at the, uh, everything that's happened over the last, what, 50 years or so, um, or actually even longer, 60 years, uh, really when they started welfare, was when all of that started. Um, They actually incentivized people to not uh, be in a relationship. So, um, yeah, that's, those are a lot of the issues that that we're dealing with because there's not, let's call it marriage or some type of contract uh, to keep people together. Well, well, what I will say is, um, well, two things to that point you just made. One is, yes, 
fathers are the most important role that our society needs today by far like fathers will save the world like literally dads are going to be what saves it um the patriarchy patriarchy is nothing but a bunch of dads <laughs> um that's the first part but the second thing is uh i'm i'm not like i'm not saying like like there's marriages that work you know my brother's happily married uh but i'm just saying that the common average man is not incentivized to marry sure oh i agree that's what i'm saying i totally yeah. agree with you yeah there's no incentive for for me to marry yeah you know what i'm saying and also it's like for both the 80 and the 20 percent, we talked about this 80 percent of men 20 percent of men right because for the 20 percent of men why buy the milk when you're getting cow when you're getting the milk for free right so that's happening in one end and then for the eight unless you know they just want to start a family at one point and in the 80 percent of men they just feel like this isn't worth the effort so Today in, in 2023, again, I'm just giving perspective on, I know some truths can be harsh, but it's worth hearing it to be oriented towards what reality is today. And I think that's the current state of affairs. Like men just don't have incentive to get married. We're not being given a good reason to get married. And of course we want kids, we want our progeny, but a lot of men are, they want that without bringing the government involved. Because they looked at their parents before them with the 50% divorce rate of the boomers as well. And they're saying, well, it didn't work out. And that's what I saw. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of like, how can I navigate this in a different way? Sure. Well, I mean, we need to figure it out because what we don't want to lose is the family. Yeah. You know. Uh, Do you have kids? No. No kids. Okay. Do you want to have oh, kids yeah, too? absolutely. I'll yeah. have, I'm definitely see, see, have I want to have kids too. Yeah. Because like, uh, you know, the, the Christian side of me is like, all of this is fairy dust. If you don't have kids, <laughs> you know, be fruitful yeah. and multiply. Like there's that side of me, but then I'm also like, um, I, I'm also honest enough to say, I, you know, I, I recognize that I will have to sacrifice a certain lifestyle and, and my individuality. Um, maybe not, but you know, I like what I have going on right now too. So sure. Yeah. You, and as you get older, you know, things might change. I, I wasn't sure. For a long time, if I was going to end up, but great thing about men is you can have kids much later. <laughs> yeah, we're good. Yeah, you're, it's not. Yeah, yeah. You don't, yeah, yeah. In, in that regard, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you're not. In a, you know, we're not in a rush. Yeah, but um, no, it makes sense about uh, you know, not having the incentives. But I also think that um, are you going to get married to the church or the or the state? Oh, I don't even know. I haven't really yeah. thought about that. I mean, uh, I, I what's the, I mean, like as far as like. Uh, who would have control over the divorce, or how? To, like, was that, or or just no? If, so, if, so, if we were so to get a divorce, is, I don't, I don't want to, um, um, you know, go off the course too much. But there's only one foolproof way to ensure your posterity, which is, I don't know what woman will agree to this, but there is only one legal way to guarantee that you have your children, because women almost always get custody of their kids mm-hmm. unless they're like drug addicts or have serious like mental issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just get them, you know. I have a friend, Jeff Younger. Shout out. He was uh he's a viral case where his wife, ex-wife, took his kids and is trying to transition them. Mm. And the kids are kind of being coerced into it with the therapist, and yeah. it's basically child abuse at this point. Yeah. But the judges and the courts are still protecting. What state you know, is this in? Texas. Texas, they're protecting it? Oh, God. What? 
God dang. That's shocking. This is what I'm saying. Both so, kids or just one? Like, both. Oh, gosh. She's no, 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 no. One of the boys. Okay. But, but she has both. But this is how bad it is where, where a good man is literally stripped. And when she's doing this sort of situation on the children, like, um, there's only one way. And again, I'm just going to say this in passing, but is if you want to guarantee it, I don't know what woman will agree to this, but if you fall in love with a woman, so you love this woman. What you do is you sign her as a surrogate because you love each other anyways, right? And ensure full custody of the children to you so that when the divorce happens, it'll, you'll still have some percentage, right? Because just because the way the courts are designed, but you'll have the kids. Interesting. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there because no, most people don't know. They always think like it's always losing battle. Well, technically speaking, that is, is that the guy, one. Jeff? Yeah, that's my boy. Right public yeah, custody that's battle that, yeah. helped ignite a movement against transgender healthcare kids. Will it carry him to the Texas house? Wow. Yeah, he was on Tucker and everything. Wow. Yeah. Good guy. Yeah. Good man. He, have was, a trigger he, he was. He was going to become an orth. He was going to be. Let me tell you how noble he was. He was going to become an Orthodox Christian monk. You know, because the whole Christian saying is either become a creative monk or create a family. Mm -hmm. Obviously, th those are polar extremes that they're using. You, there's some gray, you know, but they're basically saying you should go for one because in the middle is where there's degeneracy. You might get lost and lose who you are. And he was going to go the monk route. He said, you know what? I met this woman. I'll start a family. Uh-oh. Wow. Medusa came out. I mean, yeah, I just wonder. Like, so she yeah. completely, you know, fooled him. This is what I'm saying. Yeah. So this is an extreme situation. It can happen. But, and this is in Texas. Yeah, it can happen. The red state. I think you got to have like, I mean, for me, if I end up getting married, uh, you, know, you got to have full trust. I mean, I wouldn't do it without having complete trust. And yeah. uh, okay. because with, I think that trust, um, you know, that's how you build a stronger relationship. So yeah, you can get yeah. hurt. Yeah. They can go and take your kids and turn them into trans kids. You know, this was the thing that people had to think about that now, but you got, you better know the person that you're, you're marrying. And ultimately if they end up fooling you and being somebody else, that's on, to me, it's on them. You know, it's, uh, I got fooled, but that's not. As long as the kids don't get hurt, I would say. That's the problem. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. As long as the kids don't get hurt. Yeah. But yeah, how would but, you know? But, how but, would but, you know? but too many kids are getting hurt. Yeah. This is my point. And, and, and the data will show you that um, single fathers do way better at raising kids than single mothers. Really? Yes. I mean, there's a lot more single mothers out there, though. <laughs> I mean, they're having to yeah. deal with a lot more crap. Well, well, well um, yeah, the, uh, there's a lot of research that shows that single fathers. Um, you know, they, they instill a lot more discipline in their, into their children. Fair. Yeah, there's, just, there's just, unfortunately, <clears throat> the fathers are the ones that leave, you know, for the most yeah, part, often. too. Yeah, so yeah, the mothers yeah. are, but, are kept... Uh, but also, um, you know, like my generation, you know, the millennial generation, we're called a single motherhood generation. Mm. When you look at the BLS, like I have a friend who works for the Bureau of Labor Statistics mm -hmm. and DC, and he's like, yeah, you know, when we do data, we, we call you guys a single motherhood generation. <laughs> And I remember so many stories of my peers just like wondering where their dads were. Yeah. But I don't think people talk enough about how the mother created this narrative so that the children think of the fathers as evil people who wanted nothing to do with if, them. If they're bad mothers. Yes. Yeah. You know, that's a bit, we go back to 
good people or bad people. To me, good it's not people, a mother Good people thing, or bad people, a, but I'm also looking at it from the prism of an innocent child. Kids don't have any judgment like, sure. like imprinted into them like this, okay? So you got to understand, a lot of... Like, I grew up with both parents. Mm-hmm. I never went through a divorce. I actually... They're, they're both together. I, I have, like, the ideal, blessed, white picket fence, nuclear attack family. Like, sure. I was very lucky in that regard. Yeah, me too. But I remember one of my friends... Uh, I can't say his name. But um, I remember he came up to me and he just told me, he's like, you know what? Um, this is crazy. Young man. We're kids. Kids. Mm-hmm. Little ones when he said this to me. And he goes, it's very simple. Like, why don't I have a dad? And then, I, and then the, the mother, she goes, well, it's because your dad was a bad man. And he goes, well, then why did you marry him? Mm-hmm. This is a kid talking to the mom. Sure. I remember being there. It was awkward. And he goes, she goes, well, because he was a cloak chameleon who hid who he really was mm. the whole time. And in the moment you were born, he changed into a different thing. That's basically what she was paraphrasing, right? Mm-hmm. And then, so either now the mom has to make the child believe that narrative sure. to keep that relationship. And this is something I've seen with my generation where it's like, of course, there's fathers who leave. And that's wrong. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. Yeah. But also it's, um, you know, th- there's, it takes two to tango. And for some reason, we can't talk about, you know, how the mothers may have pushed them away. Sure. Well, yeah, I think yeah. in relationships, you know, it, there, there could be, it could be the mother, it could be the father. There's bad course, people yeah. on, on both sides. And who, definitely, and, definitely. And who knows but, if, but, if, you know, maybe the kid's father did turn into a chameleon we could debate yeah. whether she well, should tell the kid that uh at what age that's uh, that, absence of judgment from her yeah, <laughs> probably you know but yeah. uh you know i think that a lot of the times these the women aren't wanting to raise their kids without a dad there's like different sections and there's a lot of times where the woman files for divorce uh 80 percent of the time the woman files divorce 80 and then 80 percent takes the kids and takes uh takes the money that's that, that goes on too I mean, I've got friends with custody battles and I look at how they both act. I'm like, come on, man. Because both sides aren't putting the kids first, you know? And, you know, I I understand it gets bitter. And I mean, who like it's hard for me to judge when I haven't been through that. And I I can only imagine how difficult it is. I don't have a kid. I don't understand that, what that is like. But, you know, you really do got to put that kid first, um, whether you're a, a mother or a father. I still think that we need more fathers. I mean, if you yeah. look like the black, I think fathers are the solution. They are. But the bottom line is, I that. mean, you're look what's happening in the black community. What's really happening? You're lacking fathers, which is that masculine energy. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and, and this is when I realized you mentioned the black community. This is when I realized it's fathers are the really the lack of fathers is the cause of all the problems, in my opinion. Because when I go to South Korea, I go every year because most of my family is there, and. I remember thinking about how, okay, in the U.S., we have all these races here and we have to try to like homogenize and work with each other. And it's, it's a melting pot of cultures in that way as well because we bring in different values to assimilate. And I looked at South Korea and I'm like, okay, now let me look at, we're pretty much mainly East Asian here. And I looked at all the kids who are still dealing drugs and doing crime and doing property damage. And in South Korea, from black people, they're all raised by, raised without fathers. Mm. And I was like, like there's anytime there's a universality, it's an opportunity for your brain to recognize a pattern. Sure. 
And I realized right there, I'm like, yeah, this is exactly what's happening with Black America. Well, it's almost like it's by design, too. It seems like it's by design. I mean, we're talking about all the propaganda and stuff before, but I mean, you know, they do that and then they try to turn uh, black people against white people. Yeah. Um, And, you know, they do that by, or let's say black people uh, and liberal white people that say white people are the problem. You know, so they make it a group that's the problem and not, uh, oh, well, you know, it's not racism that's causing the problems in America. Uh, let's say that there were a lot of problems in America caused by racism for a long time, but that's kind of long and gone. There are some racists out there, not that I, many. I never really meet them. Yeah, no, me either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, find me a racist, please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's hard to, yeah, but um, I could show you quickly who I would consider a racist on the Ooh. other side. You know, not not non-white people. I mean, people that uh, just hate white people. Oh, oh, like Don Lemon. Yeah, there, there's an example. There you go. Um, I mean, that's uh, a lot of that movement yeah. is against, like you were talking about earlier, white men. Well, it's it's it was wrong when we were racist to uh, black people, and it's wrong when you're racist to white people. It's just wrong, and um, yeah. I think that society is forgetting what Martin Luther King said. You know, judge not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That's what I believe in. And that's what I think that we need to do to build bridges in society. Being able to talk about having conversations. Well, I, I, I appreciate that. You know, um, I, um, yeah, that's what I focus on, you know, because that's what you can control. I want to go over a couple of the questions before we uh, wrap it up. We talked a lot more about like dicey something. Art. Oh, I got missed the manosphere part. <laughs> that's a big movement with young people right now. It's funny. I went to a Manosphere event and, and like to speak, public speak, mm-hmm. and there was um, uh, all these pickup artists and all these people. I have nothing to do with any of you. Yeah, I'm here to talk about art history. This is a men's event, so I'll talk about masculine art. Yeah, <laughs> it's so weird, like the whole pickup, you know, game and stuff, pick and up games, seeing what yeah. they, how they do it. But I think like a lot of what we're seeing right now in let's call it society uh were on used to be on the internet or to people it was like you know people couldn't really look into you i think it has to do with quality now over over the quantity so um a lot of the pickup guys i'm sure they can go out and you know pick up chicks but i don't know anything about pickup man yeah i don't know yeah yeah i just um i just find those guys hilarious yeah yeah they're really interesting like their whole life they define their masculinity based on approval of the opposite sex. That's their whole prism. It's just like, you know, it's like, how can I peacock? I'm going to dye my hair pink and make a mohawk. <laughs> it's like, all right, well, do you want to do that? You know? <laughs> Pretty wild stuff. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a whole world. Like, like, I personally, I love style. I love fashion. I love anything aesthetic. Yeah. That's my life. Yeah. Like, whether it's compositions and paintings and, and looking at museum, like whatever it is, like, or whether it's style or, or whether it's architecture, anything aesthetic, that's my life. So I love aesthetics myself, but you should be doing it as a nucleus because it fits your identity. Mm-hmm. Like you should be wearing clothes that reflects who you are as a person and how it represents your values. Like that's how you should dress because then that's what you feel good whenever you put your wardrobe together. 
Yeah, you know, no doubt. What about Kanye with his ass out? You seen those pictures? Yeah, like, with the recent one, with the recent stuff on the boat. I don't know what happened to him, but he recently wore the Jew Lives Matter T-shirt uh, when he walked out. Uh, I don't know where he was again, but um, you know, it's funny because like I really like Ye, not because he's intellectually sexy or he's, but he's he's not boiling the frog. He goes all the way to the to the hottest temperature. Just and and then people questioned like why are you doing this? And he actually said something that was semi profound. Semi. He said the reason why is because I am not like a Jordan Peterson intellectual. I'm not these kind of people. I'm the battering ram. I don't mind if people hate me. Mm -hmm. My role is to just be a big punch at the door so that the door opens and then everyone can come in with their laser focus. I said, okay, if he embraces that role, then what he did and all the trouble he's causing. That explains his history. He sort of embraced being a battering ram. Yeah. He doesn't want to be respected for his intellect. Hmm. That's, he's not really interested in that. Yeah. He doesn't, want, he doesn't want that necessarily. He wants people to, he wants to be a social function in a way. I'm like, that's interesting um, because he's so influential and impactful for young people at least. But um, yeah, I mean, um, again, for me, because I'm a free speech absolutist, I will defend my enemy's right to speak. Or yay, it doesn't matter who it is. I will defend a person's right to speak all the way down. So, but yeah, he was dramatic with that White Lives Matter T-shirt. We should have been wearing those T-shirts, man. What, what was it? White Lives Matter T-shirts. Oh, yeah, be- yeah, that whole thing, man. It's just it's it's so intense. With the- I mean, when it first started, like you said, when they're like, I remember when it first started. I was still at GW. It started. It, this movement started during my undergrad. Sure. I was in the library and then this girl comes in with these three other people just aggressively. It's weird because there's only one black person and then the others were white people. But anyways, like, do you think black lives matter? I was like, yeah, what kind of stupid question is that? <laughs> like, well, if you think it does, you should stand here in solidarity with us. Like, no, I'm here studying. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, well then you're not against, you're not with us. I'm like, all right, there you go. That tells me everything. <laughs> this or, or that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but it's all clown movements, man. Yeah. You know, and we're at the point where like we need to be able to, you know, I, I know I'm gonna, it sounds odd when I say this, but I want people to fully be themselves. That's like my, that's what I love spreading more than anything. Except fat people though, right? I, you, I saw some, yeah, I'm, I'm, you, you I'm said not, something on. Except actually except fat people. <laughs> Hold on. I want to bring this up. Just, it just came to me. Yeah. What did, what did you say about? Like a racist, I am a fattest. What did you say? Uh, <laughs> hold on. Pretty funny. Good morning. I have zero time for fat people. Yeah. What does that I, mean? <laughs> no, I, I just, um, I don't know. Uh, uh, there, that's a whole different kind of worms. <laughs> but, 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 um, I, I've been noticing again to me, like guys, aesthetics are everything to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I believe the aesthetics of the participants tell you everything about the ideology. Or their worldview. So when I meet a like, if I see a girl who has pink hair and a septum piercing and thick bowl glasses and is grossly overweight, I know where she at, where she probably stands. Probably, you know? yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Um, nine times out of ten, I would guess right, right, uh, because she has decided to adorn herself in a certain way that she could have done elsewhere. So for me, when I see grossly overweight people i'm not talking about chubby and all that you know mm-hmm. what i mean like that's cool but like when i see like fat people i think they don't 
they don't care about anything. They don't care about themselves, first of all, but they, so how could they, they care about anything moral, which is even a higher value, mm. you know? And I'm not, I'm judging their humanity. Sure. But, but yeah, I, I, um, yeah, I guess that's my one bigoted position. Yeah, I, thought, I, I thought it was a joke or something. I was like, oh, is it, you know, um, have zero time. I mean, but is it, do you have any fat friends? Uh, kind of. Like, I have like fat peers and collectors and all that. I mean, let me make clear. Like, I don't, I can understand a person being overweight a little bit. I'm talking about I'm, like really I'm fat. I get obese, but like, you know, there's, yeah. I actually know some really cool, really big, yeah. big people. Um, and I've, you know, also that's Twitter where people like there's like a hyperbolic quality where people say something more outlandish for the effect. Sure. So like um, often I get this where people meet me and they'll go like, oh, man, you say some crazy stuff. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like I might feel six out of ten about an issue, but I'm definitely going to tweet it as a ten. Yeah. Because then it's going to get retweeted. Yeah. No, but it, 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 <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So So there's also the effect of being um saturated right so um you know of course um i hope people have the humor to understand the context but um yeah you know it's it's better to be in shape you know i would say <laughs> it's definitely well. healthier yeah yeah it's definitely healthier <laughs> no it's uh i mean it, the, the thing with people that are dealing with like obesity in a way is an addiction i mean as far as uh, how people eat i got some very obese people in my family. Yeah. And they're all great people though. Um, yeah. you know, it's just, I think it's like anything man, personally, uh, where it's content of somebody's character. Um, I mean, I can make jokes, but I'm always actually really careful cause, um, you know, that's, that's one that kind of gets a pass and I don't like, like look down, like what you posted, it doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I, I do think about like, people that are super overweight that are good yeah. people, how, you know, they're like, Oh, all of a sudden I can't now talk to Arthur, which I would think that they actually could talk to you if they get sure. you. Sure. And yeah, I, I just finished a commission for one of my collectors and he's pretty overweight. And, um, you know, I'm glad he laughed at that. Cause like we're friends. Sure. Like I'm not saying I, like, I'm not denigrating their humanity. Sure. But I do love, unapologetic open dialogue that's messy sometimes well yeah I, yeah yeah i think there's a place for that and i think that's actually sort of necessary for certain conversations to unfold properly sure because because the, the the corollary is people being kind of uptight and rigid because they don't want they want to walk on eggshells well that's the world so we're living in today. exactly so i prefer to go the other way and sometimes it can be wrong but I'm not acting like I know everything. I'm learning as I go, and I'm just being authentic and straight up about it. So, um, and right now, it seems like fat people are annoying you a little bit for whatever your thought process is, and you'll probably like, you know, be like, "I love fat people." Come, give me I a love, hug. I love all people, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. I'm the same way. I really do. Yeah. Um, and uh, no, it's it's good though. I mean, I like that you're a. Uh, you know, absolutist with, with speech. Yeah. Um, and yeah. you're actually standing up for a lot of the issues that I, uh, align with, or I maybe even standing up against the issues. Um, and, uh, you know, in society right now, we're not supposed to talk about a lot of the things that 
we talked about on this podcast and people can uh, make any of the conclusions that they want about, uh, about it, but um, it's got to start somewhere. Yeah. And that's actually one of the focuses of this podcast is being able to have conversations, but try to do it in a way that doesn't uh, cause more of a divide. I feel like if I'm causing more of a divide, then that's, it's having a negative effect. I don't want to do that, but do it in a way to bring, you know, people together because there's plenty of things that are dividing us right now. And I think it has to do with the, the inability to be able to have conversations that, uh, that are, you know, not that this was uncomfortable. I wasn't uncomfortable about any, anything really, but, um, that you're not supposed to have because society yeah. doesn't think that it's appropriate. You know, th this would be considered an inappropriate conversation to probably half of what we talked about would be considered inappropriate. Inappropriate to talk about. I'm a very inappropriate person. But yeah. is there, you know, is there any validity to that? We shouldn't mm -hmm. talk about it because we have hate. You yeah. know, I know I don't have hate. So I don't, I don't. Yeah. Hate. What we need to do is end all the straw manning. Yeah. Of, yeah, exactly. Like, like, like Ed Clay can come up to a person and talk about, I don't know, like anything like water, let's say. And, and then and then water mm -hmm. and then that person can push back saying so you're saying that i'm i'm not filtering my water properly or whatever it is <laughs> right and, and we're getting to a point where you know there's uh we need to raise elevate discourse to good faith mm -hmm. and we need to be willing to have conversations about everything and not language police yeah and i believe the reason why i've always had this frame worldview is because I am an artist, and I think as an artist, you de facto are a free speech agent as well, because you can only really create when you're in an open sort of state, um, or if you apply that across the board too. Um, and yeah, that's why um, I appreciate you having me on today. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Well, uh, what's uh, what's your website? People can go see your see your art. Uh, check me out at ArthurQuinley.com. Uh, Instagram is ArthurQuinley as well. Um, you can find my my email newsletter list on my everything. Actually, actually, my website ArthurQuinley. Everything is on the bottom. You can just click and subscribe to everything. And yeah, if you guys want to put some beautiful art in your home from canceled fine artists in the game, <laughs> you know. Arthur, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you.